Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, it certainly is the Two Sharp Reds where myself, Ollie Geel, and of course, Australia's third favourite son in Arnold Schwarzer. We like to sit back and enjoy a bottle of the Burgundy Grape. And then towards the end of the episode, we will uh, compare that red to a player past or present. Mark, I'd like to start off by a bit saying a big shout out to our big Sam Allardyce because apparently, I didn't know this about Sam. You know, he strikes me as a real you know, case of Carlsberg operator, but apparently he's got an unbelievable wine collection, like an unbelievable collection. Right. Um, so there you go. So Sam no longer takes payment in cash. It's all about bowls of wine. Correct. Wouldn't it, wouldn't he be just, uh, one of the oh, what, most interesting from, guests. From of what I'm aware time. of, he has a house in Spain um, where he spends a lot of time, apparently, which which he would, which is understandable whenever he gets his free time. And uh, allegedly, his his parties are legendary. Jeepers! Imagine a party at Sam's in Spain. Yep. Now, Mark, uh, before we get stuck into today's episode, there's so much we need to get through. I've got a game or like a, a, a bit of an, a new sort of segment. Um, oh, wow. Uh, but before we do that, I thought I'd, I'd start with this. Um, of our first dedication, episode dedication. Uh, I read a feel-good feel story yesterday, and I want to dedicate it uh, to this young man in Australia. Now, have you heard, I hadn't heard about these guys, the Power Roos? The Power Roos? No, no, not Power, Power. No. So the Power Roos play football in electric chairs, operated by any means they can, so some with their hands, some with their toes, some with chins and others have tubes and wires that connect to facial uh, muscles. Oh, wow. Um, but the only muscles that work. And the Power Roos, so the Aussies, we're ranked fourth in the world, which is pretty good. And we've got our most valuable player, Abdullah Kareem, um, and he is currently being, how good is this, pursued by England's Premier League sides of that, that form of football, uh, where the competition apparently is so developed that there's promotion and relegation. No way. How good is that? That, that is so is cool. Unreal. Unbelievable. That is very, very cool. Yeah, absolutely fantastic dedication to these guys. The power ruse. That is a new one. I've never heard that before. Neither and that I. is amazing. I've heard of like wheelchair football, but this is sort of next level, isn't it? Really? You know It is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been to the Power Ruse, watched them play at the World Cup in Seville um, wow. in twenty nineteen. Which was, uh, which was brilliant, you know, to meet, meet a lot of the guys, well, meet all the guys, uh, watch a couple of games. Um, they did really, really well. It was great to watch, great bunch of lads. Um, and uh, no, I really loved it. How good's that? Well, to Abdullah and the sport and the league and, of course, the Aussies in the power ruse, this is a, a dedication to them. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Cheers, guys. Cheers. So Sunday, uh, we, yep. we 
we should be talking about three games. Uh, there's only really two that played out that we can talk about, but let's start with the positives. Uh, and Arsenal taking on Newcastle United. The Gunners won 2-0 after goals from Aubameyang and Mohamed Elneny, the man who only scores screamers. But of course, the real storyline in our world, Mark, is that Matty Ryan started his third game. He's now lost, drawn and won a game for Arsenal and it was a clean sheet. Uh, few good saves too. I thought he was actually, he actually physically made a difference, which is fantastic to see. Yeah, yeah brilliant. Brilliant that Matty's got a chance to play again. Um, you know, we talked about it on a, on a couple of occasions on this podcast, the concerns I've had um, for him. And, and, and of course, he knew the challenges that lay ahead of him when he took on the, the opportunity to go to Arsenal. And it's a tough one. It would have been a very tough decision because it is the Arsenal and an opportunity to play at a huge, huge club, albeit at a time when it's not particularly going well for them and hasn't for some time. I know you'll remind me they won the FA Cup last year. Okay, yeah, yeah. And which is great. But in general, you know, Arsenal not where Arsenal used to be uh, and certainly not where they, 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 they believe they belong. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's been great for him. It's great to get some more game time. He needs it. Um, he needs an opportunity. It gives, him, it gives him an unbelievable shop window because if he can go to Arsenal and do well, Obviously, then Arsenal will be doing a lot more to try and keep him at the club. And then, on the other hand, hopefully, it'll give him more options come the end of the season if he doesn't stay at Arsenal, if he decides that, you know what, I don't feel that it's right for my career, whatever. Who knows? And, um, you know, the challenge may be too great. It's maybe really difficult. You know, if, if depends on the information he's given from the manager. It really does. And again, what you need to take into consideration whenever you're in that sort of scenario at a club is particularly, I think, for someone like Matty, if he's going to make a decision about staying at the club based on what the manager's telling him, we all know what a ruthless industry the football can be. And if he's really unlucky and he goes that route and the manager uh, you know, promises him game time and, and, and at the moment he's obviously giving him opportunities, which is great, but then say he was to lose his job. And then another guy comes in and the whole thing changes. And then he could find himself in a really difficult situation. And that's the risk you, you have to, you know, all the information you need to take on board, there's potential that what could happen, the different scenarios that could play out. And, you know, listen, the way that Arsenal have been so inconsistent, um, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen there. But, you know, for Matty, brilliant that he's back playing and uh, great to see that he played well and he kept a clean sheet and he got a win, which I think was really important. It was, I think it was important that when Matty was in the team that they actually picked up a full three points and, and uh, kept the clean sheet. So it looks like if I was to just make an assumption that Leno is being rested at the moment uh, for um, the second leg against Villarreal. So obviously the Gunners are, um, you know, got their away goal, but it's a 2-1 aggregate. So we'll see if they you know, go forward. But do we think that that would mean if they do get to the final, um, Matty might have a couple, you know, there's four more Premier League games to go and it's clearly there, you know, on the back burner for them. Do you reckon he's got maybe one or two more Premier League games in him for this season if Arsenal make the final? I think he's even got that in him if they don't make the final. Right. Now, what's the difference? What, what is the difference? Yeah, you could argue and say, well, he's given Leno a bit of a break, but as a goalkeeper, you don't want a break. And I'm sure that, that Leno wants to play all the games regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the managers clearly make those decisions. So I, I would think being in the Europa League final would have no bearing on whether or not Mikel Arteta is still going to make changes to the goalkeeping position. So meaning swapping in and out 
Maddie and Bert Leno. Um, so hopefully he'll get a couple more games between now and the end of the season. Hopefully, you know, this is always the hardest thing when you're not playing games, finding a rhythm, getting back into a rhythm as quickly as possible. And so far, you know, he doesn't look like he's missed out on playing any football in terms of the way he's playing. He doesn't go out there looking like he's clearly lacking match practice. He looks like someone who's, who's been playing or is at least up to speed and has taken any stride and, and it has done really well. It's funny as well, because uh, Bern Leno, he's actually not been that fantastic in, in recent weeks. He's let in a, a few really disappointing goals, uh, particularly against Everton, um, I think it was, um, the Richarlison goal. It was, yes. And you, yeah, and it, and it was quite strange watching the Gunners uh, on the weekend, and, and I, I felt slightly more calm about, about the situation with, with Matty between the sticks, which is a, a, you know, a pretty good compliment coming from a fan who's always stressed and on edge, you know? Yeah, uh, I mean, listen, I think Bert Leno's done really, really well at the club. Yes, certainly made a big mistake against Everton and cost them the game. Um, that's just, that's the nature of the beast of being a goalkeeper. You make a mistake of that magnitude more often than not, it uh, is it's hugely costly to you. And uh, for him, it was. But I think he's done really well since he's been at the club. And, um, you know, be interested to see going forward what will happen. But I still envisage that Mikel Arteta will stick with Leno as number one. Um, and if they were to make the Europa League final, I would still envisage uh, Bert Leno to be the number one. But you never know. Um, maybe uh, maybe Mikel Arteta is saying, you know what? You know, if they get to the final, maybe it's like the last four games to decide on who's going to be the number one goalkeeper at the final. You never know. You never know what he's thinking. Just shows how important a, a, a really genuinely good number two was. Because if you think back to the first half of the season for Arsenal when they had Runason, the Icelandic yep. goalkeeper, who, yep. let's be honest, the poor bugger was clearly out of his depth and you know really struggled when he played. So it's now all of a sudden you're thinking, geez, if, if Arsenal can nab Ryan going forward as the number two, that's yep. unreal. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I've got no doubt Arsenal will be doing, you know, we would, would be yeah. desperate, not desperate, you know, we'd be really trying to push the boat out to try and keep him there as a number two, at the very least. Uh, absolutely. The, the question is, does Matty want to be there as a number two? Um, clearly not. I, I, you know, knowing Matty, he wants to play. Mm. You know, all of us at that level, pretty much, most, not everyone, most mm. want to play each week. And Matty certainly has that in him, that character that he, that he doesn't, he's never happy unless he's playing. And, uh, and that's, you know, for me, that's, that's also a great trait to have. I was always the same, never, never entirely happy, never wanted to be a number two. Um, you know, of times you have to accept it and, and it's a bitter pill to swallow, but you're always striving and always working incredibly hard to try and maintain your position as number one and uh, almost make the position unreachable for so many people because by, by virtue of playing so well. I just wonder, because um, how old is he, 29? I think he, yeah. I think I think he's a, 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 about that. I don't think yeah, he's hit thirty. He's... So I just would love to to get in his head and figure out because I've got a feeling that he might be dazzled by the bright lights a little bit. You know, if if you think if you were in that position where you went right, okay, cool, um, Middlesbrough, yep, not getting a game, so I'm going to sign a six month contract as a number two uh, at Liverpool, for example, and you get there and you go, Phew, I tell you what, this. This is pretty cool here. This is this is pretty this is pretty cool. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. Like when I when I first went to when I went to Chelsea, it was like, wow, this place is amazing. This is why where they are, and this is the players they have at the club, and you know the the success, the demand on these players week in week out. The minute you walk in the door, there's an expectation to win every game. 
I think at Chelsea, that's very much still in place. For Arsenal, it's not as realistic anymore, is it? I mean, there's no. a different... There's certainly a different... Um, well, certainly performances have been nowhere near as good enough as, as, you know, as most Arsenal fans, Arsenal players... Oh, sorry, uh, club, people associated with club would expect and have demanded and are still demanding. So I think Arsenal still are, a, are quite a long way off getting back to where they were. Um, but it's still a huge club and it's still, you know top class there's, there's some top class players there and uh, it certainly does lift you when you go to a club like that it, it really does give you an extra spring it's extra enthusiasm you you just know you're at a top club by the professionalism of the club people you're working with um and generally performances kind of follow you know but like i said you know for arsenal listen the, the season's salvageable if they get to the final if they win the europa league i believe you know, Mikel Arteta then would have certainly have salvaged the season. And, and, and you, I think a lot of, I think if they won the Europa League, it's actually a quite a, quite a brilliant, quite a brilliant season. I have to say. Let's move on to <laughs> the North. If we go up the road, in fact, let's go up the road to Tottenham. Yep. Yep. Not too much we need to get through here. They spanked a pretty dismal Sheffield United. Admittedly, actually their first half was pretty decent. I thought. Yes. Yes. Um, Second half came out firing, to, did Spurs too good. But Bale scored his first hat-trick, I think, for Spurs in nine years, I think. Okay. Uh, and He's been a long time through between drinks, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably he's kept his place for that long, nine years. Exactly, yeah. He's been waiting on the bench for a while. Yeah. Um, but I, I suppose that, that is the storyline. And you sit there, you're looking at Ryan Mason, who you know, really can take some um, risks you know, and, and try things out. And you're looking at Bale and you go, yeah, maybe Jose, that's his number one mistake when he was there. Didn't play him enough. Certainly in those games. Come on. Yeah, maybe. Listen, maybe. May well be. Like, I don't know. I, I watched Bale. I think when the Spurs played something away, something away, and he just looked miles off it. He just looked like he was disinterested. <clears throat> Almost like, you know, he, had a, he was supposed to play golf that day and, had to cancel because he'd been all of a sudden selected. And he, I don't, I don't know, it just looked miles off it, looked absolutely miles off the pace. But then, you know, yesterday you see him and he, he scored a hat trick and, and it's a, you know, he played well. A good hat trick, too. It. Well. Yeah, it was a good hat trick. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, there's no doubting the guy's got unbelievable class, absolute unbelievable quality. I mean, absolutely brilliant player. But it's just, you just wonder has he lost a bit of desire? Has he lost the ability? to reproduce that regularly these days. Um, is, this what, is this the new norm? Is this what we're going to expect going forward or, or going to get going forward? Or is it now the beginning of him getting back to some sort of place of, where, of, of, of level of consistency? Maybe. I don't know. And, and you're right. Playing games is important. You know, let's not forget, he came to Tottenham with, with injuries and struggled to get fit again. And I think... Um, you know, he he took a long time to get back to top fitness, and and unfortunately for for Spurs and for himself, it's it's kind of it's paying more dividends now. Um, and one would maybe uh, one may argue it's because Mourinho is no longer the manager or not. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I just think it's the timing. It's that he's finally looking like he's fit, proper fit. Mark, this this will this will make you sad. What I'm about to say. Oh, this yeah. will affect you, um, I, I think. It's a, okay. Go on. You know, a, a real moment in time, I think. Yesterday, um, you know, a, a plucky, you know, Ollie Gill was, you know, happy about the 
2-0 win for Arsenal. And then he thought, how good's this? We've got the biggest, one of the biggest fo- football fixtures domestically in the world. Cannot yeah. wait. No, they played, that was Tuesday. No, sorry, that was Saturday. Chelsea, Fulham, that was Saturday. Uh, Chelsea, yeah, the oh, Schwarzer no, you're Cup. not mentioning, you're not talking about No, the about other one. The other oh, one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. So Go this on. was yesterday, yep. the other one. Yep. And I uh, put my chicken wings on. Did you? I decanted for an hour. No way. And I sat there and I was watching, you know, the coverage. Game didn't happen, Mark. And then I had to wait until free and Spurs, <laughs> Sheffield United is my saving grace of the weekend. Um, wow. Now, some would argue... You, yeah, I am sad. I, am, I'm, I feel for you. Some would argue cold chicken wings and watching an AFL repeat isn't the storyline we need to be talking about. I disagree. But I suppose the real storyline here is that the game didn't go ahead because, of course, if you missed it, I'm sure you haven't, um, for anyone listening... Manchester United fans, I think it was about an hour before the, the scheduled kickoff time, stormed into Old Trafford uh, to protest against their owners, the Glazer family. Uh, there were flares, people were climbing up on the goals, and obviously it led to you know, a police sweep, probably a clean as well, you know, with COVID rules, and obviously the game was postponed, and we're at this stage not sure when the game will be taking place. But Mark... To get, I want, to, I want all your thoughts on all different angles, but what I will start with is that when I first saw it, it looked reasonably calm, you know, reasonably yep. so. Um, then I started seeing all the footage of the fans kicking the doors down to get in. Yeah. Like it was a yeah. proper Trojan horse type invasion almost to the stadium. And then that's where you start looking at it and you're going, guys, yeah, with two wrongs don't make a right. Type situation. Yeah, no, it, like like a lot of these things, they just get out of hand. I mean, the, the protest itself initially, um, voicing your your um, your disapproval of the ownership, the way the clubs run, etc. That's fine, absolutely, go for it. To actually break in, storm, um, whatever you want to call it, cause criminal damage, assault a police officer. Um, there's no excuse. Don't care. Not about had to be done. The only way you can get a message across. No. No, I, I, I've seen quite a bit of the footage. And what struck me was there's a lot, a lot of young, young, young people involved. And I wonder if it was just a kind of a, you know, current situation, current climate, boredom, people just wanting to run amok, um, vandals, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, I, and, and that was what was really, really disappointing. I think whenever you see that sort of behavior, it's certainly not something anyone wants to condone. And I know that some people have uh, allowed or have supported it, even said that that was the only way. Some people in the media, some very prominent people, I don't get that. I don't understand that at all. Um, I understand there is a huge amount of frustration about the ownership. This is just has given them a bit more impetus to apply more pressure, but now they've taken it out of hand. They've gone beyond what should be done. I don't understand why, if they're that adamant about them, don't go to games, don't buy tickets. Actually make a protest by not turning up. As in, don't even buy your tickets. And I know there's well, an issue with that. Hard to do right now, obviously. No, no, but what I'm saying is, the only way you, you can hurt these kind of people who own the clubs, because they're so far away and so detached from the football club, is by hurting their purses. They don't care, do they? As if no, because if you, if you end up... If you end up not going to games, not buying tickets, 
And I know there's an element that will say, well, hang on, there's still so many people out there, Man United supporters, who will still buy tickets, people who are fans of just Man United and want to go to games. But if the genuine, if, if, if there's so many genuine supporters there and season ticket holders and they all decide at once they're not going to renew, they all decide, the club are going to take notice. They're not going to just go, oh, it's fine, we'll sell them anyway. If everybody says, no, we're not renewing, mm. that in itself is making a statement. And I, I don't think in any way, shape or form, invading the pitch, causing damage, assaulting people is the way to protest. Um, and, and unfortunately, it sends the wrong message out. And then when people start to say that all clubs, all fans need to get behind them, or all fans of clubs need to get behind this, is wrong. Mm. It sets a bad example, the wrong message. Get behind supporting change and maybe being disgruntled about the way your club is run and, and certainly being upset about you know, the, the ESL and clubs' involvements and the reasons behind clubs' involvements but do it in the right way. Don't, don't storm, don't assault people, don't cause criminal damage and certainly don't get a game postponed because what's going to actually happen is they're going to get hit in the, in the, in the pocket. So, okay, the owner's going to have to, well, the club, the owner, the club are going to have to pay a fine, I'm sure. And with the potential of actually being, having points deducted. Yeah. And if that happens, depending on how many points get deducted, you never know. They may even hurt him even more. They may miss out on Champions League. You never know. Yeah. Um, it's the first time in Premier League football history that a game has been postponed due to fan violence, which I think is pretty incredible, really, when you think about, you know, what the state of the game used to be. But it was interesting um, that you bring up how many young people were there because it brings up a, something that I've been feeling for a while that, you know, if I compare my two favourite sports in the world, it's, it's Premier League football, number one, then it's AFL, but I far rather the culture around AFL and its lack of violence. And yep. I remember going to Arsenal Leeds FA Cup just before COVID hit and the Leeds fans started throwing um, money up at our level, like, you know, coins. And all these families had to leave with their kids. And like, I just sort of was sitting there thinking, well, that's not, that's not fun. You know, you just, kids should be allowed to, to go to the game and, and feel pretty safe. And you're right, the influence or the, you know, the example that I'm assuming a lot of these parents are taking their kids to Old Trafford in that situation. Yeah, maybe not the teenagers, but there were kids there. There were absolutely I, kids there. I, I mean, I don't condone any of that, right? And I agree with you. There, there is certainly a very, very big difference in, in behaviour like at, at, at the two different codes, right? No doubt about it at all. But you, in so many ways, you can't compare the two codes. And I, I mean, we touched on it early on and I was joking with you and kind of joking with you about the fact that draft system, a league, mm -hmm. you know, NFL, AFL, no promotion, no relegation. So fans have never to worry really about the existence, financial repercussions, people losing jobs, like in, 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 in numbers, um, dropping down the league, you know, what it costs for people to go and support teams and pay tickets, but with and the, the real threat of, not being in the top division anymore, losing players, losing you know managers, all that sort of stuff, doesn't happen to the same magnitude in AFL at all. You know, clubs don't get relegated, don't get promoted. Same as with, you know, when you talk about NFL. So that itself creates a different culture and a different mentality within the sport. It becomes that that almost that tribal thing, that fighting for survival, fighting for existence atmosphere. And I'm not in any way, shape, or form trying to. Um, 
give an excuse for certain people's behavior because I think it's appalling a lot of the times as well. Absolutely. But there is a certainly a different feel and a different mentality based on the sports themselves and the setup of the sport. Um, so yeah, so football certainly has that, but it also creates a very unique atmosphere. So I which we love as well. Yeah, exactly. Know? So I've been to AFL games and I've been obviously to a lot of Premier League games. Give me a Premier League game any day of the week in terms yeah. of atmosphere. Yeah. There's nothing like it. You don't, you don't experience it anyway. I mean, I've been to South America and played in World Cup qualifiers. The atmosphere is insane, but it's very different insane. It's a different, a different feeling to say, you talk about, you know, I talked about this tribalism, this, this, you talked about coins being thrown. Oh, that, that, that's nothing. That's God. That's, that's mm. kids play, what they do over there. Um, they will intimidate. They will do anything to try and get an advantage. And people obviously, you know, they take hooliganism to another level together most of the time. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I think it's unfair to, to compare the two. It's a very different sport, different mentality, different lifestyle. Everything about it is different. Um, but it doesn't excuse people's behavior, of course. So then uh, let's a uh, hypothetical for you. Obviously it would have been very different for your kids going to watch you play, you know, where they would have been seated, I'm sure in a, in a, in a family area, but if you were a punter um, and you're from Middlesbrough, would you have felt comfortable taking, I don't know, a, 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 you know, a five and a three year old to Middlesbrough versus Sunderland? And you're in the... No, listen, my, my family, more often than not, there were certain games I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'd say to them, listen, you know what? It's best off not coming today. Isn't that sad? And that was, and that was based on atmosphere at the club. That was actually not even to do with the away supporters so much. It was to do with our own supporters and the atmosphere and the, the, the intimidation, the anger in the club and in the air and that things were on edge because there's so much riding on everything. Yeah. Everything is so... You know, every game is so important for survival, for qualification, for European, you know, glory potentially. You know, all this stuff is so, so huge. Um, look, look, in, 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 in Australia with all the different sports, even football in Australia, you only have to make the top six or top eight <laughs> to have a chance of winning the ultimate prize. <laughs> so you get the mentality is so different in Europe. When people, when people hear that, they just can't believe it. They're like, hang on, what are you talking about? Like, finish, you can finish eighth and still win the biggest prize in terms of winning the, the grand final? Yeah. Doesn't, it, people, don't, people can't comprehend that. So, but what, what, what I think my, my, my personal overriding feeling is, growing up in Australia, obviously it was such a shame not being able to go to the games, but it allowed me to fall in love with the sport, right? And, and yeah. understand the sport. Yeah. But if you're based in England and you feel like you can't bring your kids to a game, creates a culture i think of that almost you know makes that anger you know bubbling away from when you're a, a young and it's there and it's Qu- and, it, quite and then you look at the old trafford scenes of kids with flares and they got like it's just you know what that's why i love all these other sports but, because you're able to go as a toddler and but you learn. can't tell me there isn't any sorts of violence at AFL games or rugby league games. I tell you what, else. mate, few and far between in comparison. I, I do know that it happened and I've seen it happen, but they get yeah. swept under the carpet very well. Yes. They don't, they don't, they certainly don't get the exposure that football gets. No, they certainly, when it, even when it happens in Australia, when, when there are disturbances at games, the, the exposure that comes from a disturbance at a football game is like, a hundred times more than if 
there is a disturbance at a rugby league game. I've been in rugby league games where people on the hill have kicked off and there's been 20, 30, 40 people mass brawls. Yeah. No, so I, never, I, never makes the newspaper. Yeah, that is interesting. That is very interesting. Never think, makes the newspaper. But, but there's very rarely are there brawls in a football game. What I'm sort of thinking is, okay, for example, right now, Collingwood fans are the most brutal in the country and they desperately want change at their club, but they're not going down to the MCG, smashing doors and yeah. running onto the pitch and destroying property. And there's not that um, intimidation when you're at games. So there's not that yeah. you, know, you feel yeah. like as a kid, you're like, oh, I'm, you know, so, something going to kick off at any moment. There's not, you might have just yeah. a couple of drunk dickheads having because, a punch on. Yeah, because I, because I think also football in Europe and in most parts around the world, it is, yes, it's like, you know, people support their clubs in Australia in AFL and rugby and rugby league since they've been kids and it's in their families and everything about it. But it, they don't, you know, if they have a bad season, they finish wooden spooners. Mm. That in itself is obviously embarrassing and not great, right? But there's next season again, you can go and win the league, win the title, not win the league, win the title, like win the, yeah. win the grand final. And all yeah. is forgotten. Everything's, you know, and because of the way the draft system is that, is, that is actually possible. So you think that that directly relates to whether or not people are then going to be brutes? Yeah, there's a different, yeah, there's a different type of um, desperation. But Manchester United aren't, you know, de- you know no, on the brink but, of but again, that, that, that's all inbred from the desperations of success, um, their rivals doing better than they are, um, you know, having, being, being the most wealthiest club or the most highly valued club on the planet, but still not being able to compete with the likes of, say, Manchester City in the transfer market. Or one would argue, actually, they have been. They just made bad decisions. Yeah. See, I, I, I kind of disagree with that whole thing of, you know, the, the owners, yes, they have taken money out of the club. They've taken a lot of money out of the club, but they've also invested quite a lot of money. Mm. And one would say, okay, well, they haven't invested because they've still taken a lot of money out. So they only just put a little bit back in, really, in comparison. But they own the club. They can do what they want. You know, that's the way the structure is. Um, but yeah, so back to that whole thing of football, tribalism, survival, existence, whether it's in a league, winning titles, that is bred into them from a very, very, very young age. And there's this fighting element to it that I think is kind of it's so deep-seated. So then finally on this subject, do you think we'll see anything like that with some of the other clubs that were involved with the ASL? Or do you think it'll be different? I know, for example, That's at Arsenal, there me. were Worry, crowds it outside. But... that people have almost um, encouraged it, supported it. People have openly supported the movement. And what worries me is that other elements and other fans from other clubs will see it as an opportunity. And then, and then the problem is you then potentially also have elements of people getting involved that actually have nothing really to do with the club, but just want to go around to cause trouble and to be part of the violence. And that's what's a worry as well. We've worked, football has worked so hard to, to reduce. I wouldn't say eradicate because it's not completely eradicated. It would never be eradicated, but reduce. And it certainly is amazing really to go to a football game these days compared to what it was like even 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, so there's been huge strides made. And worries me that this sort of behaviour will encourage or allow, um, will, will encourage and ignite people's 
desires to go out and just cause trouble. Won't be long, I promise. Back to Ollie and Mark in just 15 seconds. If you enjoy Two Sharp Reds, though, make sure you search The Gig and Pod wherever you get your podcasts. David Weiner is joined by thousands of games of experience both on and off the field. It's a great listen. G-E-G-E-N-P-O-D, The Gig and Pod. Okay, back to Two Sharp Reds. Mark, halftime drinks here in the Two Sharp Reds, and I feel a bit silly because guess what? We haven't even talked about our wine yet. I haven't talked about the wine, so let's have an extra special halftime drink, I think. Uh, I'll start by, I bought this wine yep. for one reason and one reason only. Uh, well, two reasons. Obviously, it's a Shiraz, and that's my favourite, but it was called... To, and you wanted to drink it. And I wanted to drink it. Okay, so that's three, three reasons. There's be three reasons. Yeah. Uh, but the title is The Very Sexy Shiraz. See, I already knew that's what it was because I saw it on Instagram. The Very Sexy Shiraz. Austin 2017. Powers. I've gone back four years. It's nicely matured for my budget. Okay. And it's smooth and it's, it is sexy and it makes me want to light a fire, you know, have a, maybe a fondue brill cream my hair, wear a turtleneck, all that sort of stuff. Maybe wear some old spice, slap that on the, on the sides of the neck. It just, it brings out something in me, Mark, that is, you is don't it, want to be around for. If is I it your Hector Bellerin of wine? Correct. Yeah. That, ah, yeah. bingo. There you so, go. <laughs> so look, we'll obviously be comparing the wine at the end. But I think so take the, to... take the bill. No, it's not, not going to be Hector. <laughs> you've, already, you've already mentioned him once before in our podcast, no, but are you going to go I've got a crush to... on Hector, but I don't I, think I know. he's sexy. Like it's, it's, I'm, I don't I'm, think he's I'm, sexy. No, I'm going to go down a different route for this oh, comparison. There you go. Okay. Um, what wine have you got just before I get too hot and bothered? <sighs> Didn't think you wanted even to hear the wine I've got, the way you were carrying on. And the minute I mentioned Hector Bellerin, you were gone. Woo! I'm Look off. at the knees. Never off to the races. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> you would not believe it. I've gone for a Monteflores. It's, a, it's an Argentinian wine, a Mendoza, a Malbec 2020. I have to, I'm not going to lie. I was given it as a gift. Ooh, what uh, for? Had some, Can I had some friends come over, made a barbecue outside and nice. Brought a bottle of red wine. Very, very nice. It's uh, rich, fruity, and complex, as they mostly are, particularly yeah. these uh, Malbecs. Um, it's, a, it's a wine from one of Argentina's most iconic Malbec producers. This wine has been partially aged in French oak for six months to add a subtle, toasty aromas and soft, integrated tannins. Uh, we always like that, don't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, Are you a Malbec man, generally speaking? Uh, you know what? I... I don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind. I, I'm, I'm kind of, I have changed. My palate has certainly adapted. I, don't get me wrong. I still don't think you can beat a really nice Merlot or Pinot Noir. I still, that is my go-to. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. However, going to Spain so many years, even more recently, got a lot of friends there and we obviously have probably way too much bowls of red wine, too many bowls of red, red wine. Um, so I do love my Riojas. I do all of that, the Crianthas, um, Malbec. Yeah, I, I can, very doable, as with the Shiraz these days. But, but like, like I've said many times before, I wouldn't go and just pick one off the shelf necessarily. No. Um, it's time, uh, by the way, I should do this. Why, you ask? Uh, Emma Hayes, big congratulations. Oh, yes, brilliant. Big congratulations to Sammy Kerr. Chelsea, they're off to their first Champions League final after an astounding victory over Bayern München. 
which would yes. have been a real just a tugging on your heartstrings. But that, that is brilliant, and I know yeah. Emma. I know Emma pretty well, and she's she's great. She's a great, uh, great person. Um, has done tremendously well. She's been at Chelsea for a long, long time. Um, and I remember talking to her a couple of years ago, actually, um, doing a couple of media commitments, and she was talking to me about uh, um, Sam Kerr back then. And really? that she'd already spoken to her a couple of times and she was desperately trying to convince her and, you know, what she like. And oh, you know, I'm desperately trying to get her over. Can't you say something to her and all sorts of stuff to try and get Sam Kerr to come to Chelsea? I said, all right, if I, ever, if I bump into her, if I see her, I'll tell her, I'll sell it to her. Um, and uh, I'd like to take responsibility and say that, yes, I got Sam Kerr to Chelsea, but I didn't. <laughs> the finder's fee? Or how does that one no, go? No, 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 nothing no. about it all sorts. I actually didn't get a chance to speak to her about it because I didn't want to message her or anything. I just wanted to talk to her. If I was going to bump into her, yeah. see her somewhere, I would have spoken to her about it if the, if the moment had allowed it. Uh, but it just never occurred. But, yeah, listen, Bree, she's done really well. And that, that's the thing. I always said I wanted to see our players, our Matildas playing in Europe yeah. because playing, playing in America was great because the physicalities of it, the pace of it. And don't get me wrong, the, 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 the US goals are by far and above and have been by far and above the best players for a long time. The country, the, the team has been unbelievable. Everyone's starting to slowly catch up. The, the European game is slightly more technical. Um, more and more American goals are coming over and playing um, in, in, in the leagues, the various leagues here in Europe. The WSL league, got quite a few American players playing for Man City, Man United. Um, and for Sam to come to Chelsea, I always thought, particularly watching her at the World Cup in 2019 in France, I just thought, you know what? She, she could add so much more to a game. Mm. And I felt at times watching her, she could be a little bit too predictable in what she did and her runs and, and knocking the ball over the top because that's what she did. She's an incredible athlete, really quick, got in behind defences and she did that a lot in America and she was very successful. So you kind of understand why she did it. Whereas in Europe, I think initially, the challenges of coming to Europe, the climate, um, obviously COVID has made it even more difficult, but I think she's found it that the going initially quite tough, um, but she's really come into her own and she's been brilliant. And uh, she's, um, what is it, 26 goals, I think she scored in all competition uh, for Chelsea this season. Like that, her and yeah. Fran Kirby um, have, done, have, a, have formed a really, really good partnership. The two of them play incredibly well together. And um, Chelsea are flying. And let's hope they can take it one step further. And even more importantly, how good it would be if two Chelsea sides, men and women, are in the both Champions League finals. I think that it will be also the first time ever that would, that would happen. I mean, surely. Yeah, that would yeah. be huge. So then be huge. from um, uh, uh, Emma Hayes' point of view, um, how do you, I mean, it's so hard to tell, obviously, in anyone's career, but what, what do you see her trajectory? What, what's, what's out there? She's been you? always, from my understanding is she's always been really happy at Chelsea. Um, it's a place that you know is very close to her heart, and she believes um, in the setup and everything about the club. And I think um, she's really found her place. And the fact that the club has stuck with her, even when times were maybe it didn't go quite to plan, and the investment they paid into the club, uh, into the well, pumped into the side. Look, this year they're so close that they're in touching distance to an insane season. You know, they're they're, they're one game fewer than Man City in terms of league. Mm-hmm. So they're, I think, uh, one point or two points now behind them in second place. They win their catch-up game. They jump back in front of Man City with one game to play then after that. So Chelsea have two left. The rest have one. Chelsea win both their games. They win the WSL ahead of Man City, which will be absolutely brilliant. And then they've got the Champions League final talk ahead head to, and hopefully they can take that over the line as well. But it's going to be a tough game against Barcelona. 
invested heavily, changed a lot there, play a different style of football, more technical as you'd expect from the Spanish. And it's going to be a different challenge for them. Mark, if we stay in Europe, um, big congratulations to Inter. They've won yep. their first title for 11 years. Yes, and they have, which is quite remarkable, suppose, isn't it? It's yeah. quite remarkable to think that. However, if you really think about it, Juve were going for 10 straight. Exactly. So, yeah, makes sense, doesn't it? So, that, that's, um, that's remarkable, yeah. Uh, Juve side that obviously has hugely invested in, in their squad, but there's a lot of talk that the squad will be broken up come the end of the season now because of the financial situation of the club. They really, really, I think, from understanding, feeling the pinch. Mm-hmm. Um, Lukaku has been linked of all places going back to Chelsea, which is quite remarkable. And <laughs> they're talking in the vicinity of sort of 60 to 80 million pounds playing for him, which is just mind blowing if you think about it. Um, it could be a bit and, of a sliding doors moment, you know, with yeah. everything connected. Do you think, would Ronaldo be happy at Juventus? Aaron Ramsey might be the sort of operator to return. Well, well, I think if you look at Ronaldo and you look at his record this year again, I mean, he scored two on the weekend. They won. I mean, he scored. What is he in? In uh, Syria, I think he scored out of twenty-seven games. I think he scored twenty-five goals in Syria alone. It's like, I mean, it's, it's I ridiculous. actually laughed then, Mark, because I just went, "He's a freak." <laughs> but it's, that's ridiculous, really. I mean, for a player that we've all written off, we've all gone, "Nah, his best days are past him." He's, he's, you know, he's not the Ronaldo of old, which of course he's not the Ronaldo of old. He's like, he's, what is he, 36, 37 years old, whatever he is. Of course he's not. Um, but you, you can't knock it. Like, you know, to do what he did in Spain for so long, to the, rec- the goal-scoring record that he has, then he goes to, to Italy. Um, and, then, you know, people argue and say, well, yeah, but Juve were dominating everything and you know, running away of it. Yeah, yeah, I'm right. So he's actually played... 30, I, 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 under, I gave him less credit than he deserves. He's played 30 games and scored 27 goals in Syria, just in Syria. I think a dream scenario, I think we can all agree, is that ownership changes at United and then they bring him home for his twilight years. That would just be... Well, I don't think it'll need an ownership change. You know, you know what could be an opportunity to distract... United fans to a degree. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know how, how much it will distract them is to bring someone like Ronaldo. But then the, the question is, and then this, is, this was the question that was asked about when Ibrahimovic came to United. You know, you're buying a player that is an absolute legend in the game, was incredible. There's no way in the world he's going to be able to do it at, at Manchester United. And what does he do? He has an unbelievable season. And the only reason that he gets shipped off at the end or goes is because he does his knee. Yeah. Then he comes back, goes to America for what you, we all think is... You know, the ending of this unbelievable, controversial at times career, but phenomenal career. Then he all of a sudden turns up back up in Italy again and he's, he's, he, he signed another deal for next season and, and, and still scoring bag loads of goals. So good. So you'd be a br- very brave person to write off Cristiano Ronaldo, not going to, or if he were to go to United, not scoring and scoring a boatload of goals for United. Mm. But I, I would think, I would think United, it's the best opportunity to buy someone like Harry Kane. Mm. I, I just think Harry Kane works for United. And I, if I you've got the, the choice, whole, a bit of a... Yeah, I, I, yeah, and I think that will make, you know, that would be a real statement. If United, if United went out there and spent, you know, this, this is the whole, a lot of it's to do with how much money they take out of the club and not reinvest. But if they go and spend whatever it will cost, 100, 120, you know, probably 
So probably around that kind of figure these days for Harry Kane rather than the 150, 200 million they've talked about in the past. And if they did that, I think that would appease people to a degree. Mm. It certainly go in the direction of doing so. If we stay in Manchester, Mark, just finally here on the Two Sharp Reds, Man City take on PSG in the second leg of the semifinals mm. of the Champions League. They go in 2-1 aggregate, of course, two of those goals away from home. That was an absolute corker of a game. PSG scoring first. I don't think any of us saw a, a, a 2-1 victory to Man City by that stage. Um, can the Parisians do it? Or is this going to be the, the, the time for City? They can. No, they can do it. And, you know, you, you cannot write them off. Mbappe, Di Maria, Neymar, the way the three of them are playing. And I know Mbappe didn't get a single shot on target in Paris. And it's never, ever happened before in a, in a, in a Champions League game for, for Mbappe. Wow. I actually think PSG away from home, that suits them more. The game will stretch up in a little bit more. City don't know how to sit back and just play the game out. They, they, I, that's just not in their nature. They'll want to go press forward. They'll want to try. And, and that potentially opens up the door for, you, for PSG. Listen, in Paris last week, PSG are kicking themselves for not taking advantage of the dominance they showed in that first half. They should have scored a couple of goals. They didn't. They were made to pay. But the two goals they conceded were, were really poor goals to concede. Of that, at that level, mm. um, you know, a cross that ends up in the back of your net, ball goes through the wall for a free kick. I mean, they just stuff that are so, so frustrating as a player, as a manager, they go ballistic that you can see the goal like that. Um, it's just basic, basic keeping the wall together. You know, the ball hits you. So what? It hurts a little bit, but take it. And they didn't. They, they, they messed it up. Um, but, but, you know, listen, and it's certainly advantage Man City and Manchester City are a brilliant side, right? No doubt about it. But we're talking about Mbappe, Di Maria and Neymar. And the game suits them, this second game. It's just whether or not they're able to hold out, whether they're able to be defensively strong enough to keep City out. And not many teams can do that. But it's, an, it's going to be an intriguing game. I can't wait for it. I'm so looking forward to it. I'm going to be there. And it's going to be amazing. Oh, very jealous. Very, very jealous. Uh, does that mean you're not going to be able to go to Chelsea versus Real Madrid? I am. Of course, of course I, I am. am. I'm, going, I'm going to Manchester City. Listen, there's a day, 24 the hours day, between come games. Man. Come on, I'm you know, back down again. I'll be at Chelsea, Stamford Bridge to watch them play Real Madrid. And- One all aggregate. They got their away yep. goal through Christian Pulisic. Uh, yep. And then uh, Kareem Benzema pegged them back. Pretty good goal as well. Yeah. I reckon he's possibly the most underrated player in Europe. Oh, he's still doing it. He's it's, still getting it. You know what it is? It's, there's, a, there's a cloud hanging over him, isn't there? From yeah. kind of things that have gone on in the past. Now he's no longer involved with the French national side. Um, so there's a real big cloud hanging over him, you know, and, and, and a bit of a cloak almost. Um, but yeah, there's no question in his ability. I mean, to, listen, to be, at, be at Real Madrid for as long as he's been, to, be, to score as many goals as he has, to be on a number of occasions been written off like he's out the door to then to bounce back and still be their main man is pretty, it's impressive. You, you, that cannot be underestimated. Um, Real Madrid, listen, I, I thought Chelsea were excellent. Um, away in Madrid. I thought the way they started the game, putting Madrid under pressure, you know, you can't... What, what Liverpool did wrong was they gave Modric and Cruz, Crows too much room in midfield. Um, and they got exposed for it. They got hit. They got, they got punished for it. They were able to pick out passes and everything else. What Chelsea did really well in that first game was that they didn't give them any time or very little time on the ball. They, they smothered them every time. And Real Madrid struggled to keep, keep involved. I mean, Courtois pulled off an unbelievable blank 
you know, point blank save. John Aloisi will say it was just hit him, but it was a, <laughs> it was a brilliant save. Um, and, uh, you know, Werner, the other hand is, the other side of it is, yeah, John Aloisi is going to be saying, yes, he should have scored. And Michael Bridges has gone, yeah, but hang on a second. I probably wouldn't have scored that. <laughs> that was too tough. <laughs> now, of course, he should have scored, but it was a brilliant save. Um, they just need to make, they need to be more clinical, Chelsea. And maybe with Kai Havertz being back in a bit of form now, yep. yes, it was against Fulham, but it was class. Werner, instrumental, um, goes without saying, you know, when you, when you look at their squad, Chelsea, Mason Mount, how important he is to him. Pulisic seemingly coming to into form at the right time. There's a lot of positives to be taken out of it. Again, the game is so e- evenly balanced mm. and you can't write Real Madrid off. You, you can, there's no way in the world you can take this game lightly, but they're going to have to be at them right from the off like they did in Madrid. And if they do, like Liverpool did in the previous round, that's when they've got to be then clinical because Liverpool weren't clinical and therefore got knocked out. Whereas Chelsea, I think, will be more clinical. And the other thing is, I noticed from Real Madrid, because, you know, it's only few and far between, or certainly more of the European games that I watch of them, they just look really slow in comparison to Chelsea. Mm. You know, they're running ragged. The amount of it's room... It's a slower game. They, they play a slower game in general. But your so, Cruz and Modric have lost a stack of speed. You know yeah. what? Watching them at, at Anfield, uh, particularly the second half, Real Madrid came into their own a little bit more. They had a little bit more space. Casemiro, I thought, was really good. When you see him, right, you look at him, you go... How's he playing? How's he playing football? This guy looks like he's a he's a you know second rower or something like that for rugby. You know, he just doesn't look like someone that's going to be able to run for ninety five minutes or so. But he did, and he's a workhorse, not afraid to stick his boot in. He's got some class about him as well in terms of his ability to find a pass. Very very good. Um, so he does a lot of the legwork. Question is, is that going to be enough for Real Madrid? Is Casemiro's legwork going to be enough? Uh, Modric, Cruz are obviously the brains. They're the, they're, the, they're the guys that pull the strings. But if they're not given space and time on the ball, less likely they're going to be as effective. Mark, we've come to the end of the two sharp reds and it's time to dissect our wines. It obviously feels like just a moment ago that we touched on them, which mm. is because that's exactly what happened. Um, but I very much have been enjoying the very sexy Shiraz. Um, if you missed or tuned out, you know, to what I was saying, which, which can happen, that is the name of, of the wine. Um, but very much, you know, name and nature type stuff, sexy by name, sexy by nature. Um, very much enjoyed my Shiraz. Bit hot, I'd say, outside where I am for Shiraz, but that's okay. That's, you know, you can be sexy at any temperature, I think <laughs> is the important thing, Mark. Yeah, you're right. No, it can be. I mean, whereas me, for me, on the other hand, the weather has dropped. It has dipped around 10 degrees, possibly even less now because the wind's picked up. So, right. you know, to get the mail back out, it's actually quite nice to have it this moment in time. perfection. Yeah. Well, um, on that note, look, I've got a very, very simple one. So I'm just going to go through and compare my wine now. It's so simple. Hit me straight away. Look, it's smooth. It's silk. It's class, but it's sexy. Uh, and I'm going to have to give it to the sexiest man in the Premier League right now. Um, and it, it hurts me that it wasn't, I'll tell you who it could have been. Uh, Olivier Giroud was right up there, but I've right. compared him to a wine, I think, in the last six to eight weeks. I thought, look, I'm just yes. going to have to go for someone else. Um, Andre Gomez, sexiest man in the Premier League. Yeah, I no, I get, I get where you're coming on that one. Yeah, I get just what you're a, yeah. Um, yeah, well, okay. That's destroyed me a little bit, that. <laughs> wow. What, because it's not Bellerin? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah it yeah. certainly did. 
Well, it could um, have been well, you, but you're not playing, you know. Oh, well, I suppose yeah, that doesn't matter still. Doesn't really matter, but thanks a lot for that anyway. Yeah, bringing it up and then <laughs> dropping me like a lead balloon. Well, you know, for me again, oh, I mean, you know, simple is the name of the game today, obviously. Yeah. So we're going for a yeah. bit of a simple uh, interpretation of this wine. Uh, Argentinian wines has absolutely no bearing on who I'm selecting. Uh, okay. That's Argentinian, of course, but I'm not going to pick an Argentinian player. But what I'm going to go for is a couple of words that have... Uh, popped out for me in in the description of this wine soft integrated um and uh freshness Mm -hmm. the two words well three words really so soft integrated um and then one phrase and then the word of of uh of freshness um have really popped out and grabbed me and there's one player that sort of immediately popped into my mind and that was kai havertz you know he's He's softly taking his, he's, he's taken a bit of time. And some people would say he's been, he's been a little bit soft at times. Um, the integration has taken certainly longer than one would hope, especially Chelsea players and especially with the price tag he came with. But that's also, I think, a big reason why it has taken a bit of time. The change in the game, responsibility, the expectation, very, very different to his times at Leverkusen. Um, and, and therefore, he's, um, he's, he's struggled a little bit. Injuries, COVID, all those sort of things. So it's been, I don't know, soft's probably a bit harsh, mm-hmm. but it's a soft kind of uh, beginning in the Premier League. Just let's put it that way. But what I like now is he's kind of come into his own, and particularly the last couple of weeks when he's, when he's started the games or he's come on, he's added freshness. He's been a fresh sort of, he's almost like, he's almost like been a new signing over the last couple of weeks. Brilliant. Perfect description. You've done well there, Mark. Very, very well. Well, we've run out of time here in the two shop reds. Um, you, so you, have you got the clock on? Have you got to go? We've got like, the clock. We're winding down. So as we do okay. that, it's time to play a game as we say okay. goodbye. Yes. Uh, a game of Simon Says, but it'll okay. be Simon Says mixed between actions and words. So, Mark, okay. Simon Says, touch your shoulders if you can. Yeah, there you go. Simon Says, say football. Football. Simon says, touch your ears. Mm-hmm. Simon says, I love you. I'm out. Oh, you know, <laughs> I thought I got you. I thought I got you. <laughs> Sorry, Even in I'm out. Simon says mode, you're not going to say. Yeah, no, listen, you know, you know I've got to keep, got to keep my, um, my, keep my fans happy. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah got to keep my fans happy, you know, certain, certain demographic. Oh, that's guttering. All right, all right. Well, anyway, I love you. I'll try again next week. Yeah, go back to the drawing board, mate. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.